the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The opinions of the guests of the following program may not represent those of Salem Media of Colorado or its sponsors. Welcome to this edition of Colorado Issues, a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado. This is David Venzetter, and this is Colorado Issues. National Men's Health Month is June, and it's time for awareness, prevention, and some early screenings. And according to the Centers for Disease Control, in 2015, the leading cause of death in males in the United States was heart disease, cancer, and unintentional injuries. Joining me today is Dr. Ken Cohen, who's the Chief Medical Officer with New West Physicians in Denver. Dr. Cohen, welcome. Thank you. This is not necessarily a topic that we think of collectively, you know, men's health in the broad sense. So what is the idea behind the the Men's Health Month? As men, we tend to consider ourselves bulletproof. And if you uh, look at the research that's been done, women are far more likely to engage in routine health screenings and preventative care than men. And therefore, it really does become an imperative to set aside some time for men to stop and consider their health. It seems like we don't look at things collectively in a whole. It's like, oh, I take things one at a time as they come at me. Oh, I've got an issue with my blood sugar or maybe I have some heart issues. But I think men probably tend to avoid the whole health issue. Is that what you're seeing in your practice? That actually has been very well studied. And one of the fascinating studies that was done showed that over 50% of men who were having chest pain consistent with heart disease would not tell their spouse or their physician. Uh, So there is clearly a need for men to be more in tune with their health and more uh, willing to share any potential health issues with their family and their physician. I think probably right off the top, just staying active and healthy would would be the first step. Uh, Would you agree with that? There are four simple things that all of us can do, uh, men and women, that dramatically improve not only um, quality of life but longevity. And those four things are maintaining your ideal body weight, uh, exercising four to five hours a week, having five servings of fruit and vegetables a day, and not smoking. And those are simple and straightforward, but interestingly, less than 20% of men actually do all four of those. And so that may be the reason why men tend to live sicker and die younger than women. Would you agree with that? That's part of it. Part of it is um, injury. Part of it is riskier lifestyle. Uh, But there is also a protective effect of estrogen earlier in life so that cardiovascular disease, which is one of the leading causes of death, appears on average about a decade later in women than it does in men. Uh, They eventually catch up Uh, But men are subject to heart attack and stroke at a much earlier age than women. And I have to say I'm I'm guilty of this. I mean, I'm not the first one in line for a regular checkup. How important is that? The the critical need for checkups um, surrounds the fact that if you look at those major causes of death that you spoke about at the outset, um, stroke, heart attack, cancer, uh, diabetes, they're all silent diseases. 
So unless we are regularly being screened for those, there's no way to detect them until far into the course. But even more importantly, uh, the value of a, of a periodic health examination is to examine your lifestyle so that you and your physician can work together to put measures in place so that you don't ever have to even deal with those diseases. The old argument of uh, nature versus nurture, genetically versus your lifestyle, what are you seeing in, in, in your practice when people come in? Is it, I mean, if, if I'm active, but I'm, I'm still a, a candidate for cardiac because my father had a heart attack, or so which one has more prevalence? Yeah, that's an excellent point, and it depends on the intensity of the risk. So if you unfortunately come from a family where most of the males have had heart attacks in their 30s and 40s, then the genes will trump the picture. Uh, if you come from a family where your father might have had heart disease in his 60s, at that point, lifestyle is probably more important. Uh, but you're raising a, a really, really good issue because it's one of the other reasons to engage in a, in a regular conversation with your physician because... If you do fall into that category of, of high early risk for vascular disease, there are screening tests that you can do now, and you can detect the beginnings of vascular disease 10 or 20 years before a stroke or heart attack occurs and put measures in place, be it lifestyle or medications, so that those things don't need to happen. As a country, we're dealing with the health care issue. What, what are the insurers authorizing these days? Because I can tell you from personal experience when I asked my doctor, because I have a, a, a pretty bad family history, and I was concerned about it. And I asked my doctor, you know, is, what's the possibility of getting you know, a, a heart scan? Oh, well, you know, we don't do that. That's only if there's something that indicates you need to have that done. What test are you referring to that shows those early signs? And is it something that insurers are, are readily okaying these days? Uh, there's two tests, and I'll talk about each of them briefly. You know, the insurance question is a tough one. The insurance companies are trying to hold down premiums for all of us, and and as you know, um, premiums continue to rise, healthcare costs continue to rise. So, you know, they're doing the best job that they can. Um, but you're correct; not everything is covered. Um, fortunately, the two screening tests that we do are both um, fairly inexpensive. Uh, one is called a coronary calcium score. It's a, a very quick, brief CAT scan that measures the beginning of plaque formation in the coronary arteries. And the other is a test called a CIMT, which is done with a very small uh, pencil-like ultrasound probe and can measure early plaque in the carotid arteries and the neck. And that also um, is highly correlated with both stroke and heart attack. And both of those tests are under $200 and really only need to be done once in your lifetime to see if you're at risk. So given the potential benefits to those tests and the relative inexpensive nature of them, I do think they make sense in, in people that do have a lot of risk factors. Those of us who are athletes in our younger life and are now paying the price for that, I can attest to that. We're seeing a big crisis in, in uh, opioids. And so is that something that you see in your practice is affecting specifically a, a you know, gender-related problem with men more than women, or, or is it equal, or where are we at with that? No, I don't think that's um, a problem that is more prevalent in men than women. But, um, you know, we have looked at that closely. At, at New West Physicians, beginning about 10 years ago, we realized that there is more and more data showing that long-term use of opioids actually don't improve pain outcomes. So we began to reduce our opioid utilization a decade ago such that now uh, we have about one-sixth the opioid utilization of practices nationally. 
and it hasn't affected patient outcomes at all. In fact, it's improved them because we have much less of an issue with opioid addiction. So they're useful for for very short-term use postoperatively and and in the case of an injury, but there just is no science that suggests that these medications are useful for long-term use. Tell me why men live sicker and die younger than women. Part of it is riskier behavior. Uh, For the longest time, the tobacco use rates were higher in men. And, you know, very few people survive the long-term effects of tobacco. Approximately a quarter of people will die of stroke or heart attack, a quarter of emphysema, and a quarter with cancer. And because historically the smoking rates were much higher in men, that accounted for a lot of the difference. Women, unfortunately, are catching up with smoking, although the good news is that Colorado has one of the lowest smoking prevalences of the country, and now we're down to only about 9% of the entire population, which, which is very good news. So part of it is risky behavior. Uh, part of it, there's a higher incidence of uh, suicide, uh, particularly violent suicide in men compared to women. Uh, part of it is, as I mentioned, the protective effect of estrogen so that women typically get cardiovascular disease, but 10 to 15 years later than men. And then part of it is lifestyle and that men are more likely to be inattentive to their diet uh, than women are and inattentive to their preventative screenings. Now you touched on, on suicide, and I mean, the numbers are just going off the chart lately. You know, how much uh, of mental health in men is, is part of the, the big picture for men's health overall? It, it ties again back to the fact that women are more likely to confront, share, and try to resolve health issues, be it physical health or mental health, relative to men. So, for example, when I'm seeing patients in my day-to-day practice and I see anxiety or depression or something that I really would think uh, counseling would be of benefit for, my women patients are far more likely to engage a counselor than my male patients. And the same thing holds true for serious mental health and, and potential suicide. Men are just less willing to recognize, engage, and follow through with, with counseling and medication uh, surrounding mental health issues, and that is a significant problem. Now, in your practice, do you try and draw out if there's issues going on in, in mental health with men, or, or is it something that you kind of have to wait until they come to you with it? No, no, not at all. Uh, in, in fact, for both men and women in our practice, at every periodic health examination, we screen for anxiety, depression, and substance use as part of that examination. Something that you touched on earlier as far as our, our routines as men, what do male patients need to remember about regular routines when, when taking their medications? Well, the key to really staying with your medications, I think, are threefold. Um, one is to tie it to some daily activity so that it really does become routine. And if, if my patients are really having difficulty taking their medications, I just tell them to tape the medication bottle to the toothpaste tube. And there's no way they can pick up that toothpaste tube without having the medication bottle sitting there in their hand. Uh, there are good smartphone reminders that you can use that can be very helpful just to key you to take your medications. And then the third thing is to make it easy. Um, so if you're on a long-standing medication, make certain that you're getting a three-month refill and not a one-month refill so that you don't have to run to the pharmacy every month. And when you have the option, uh, getting prescriptions through mail order is also great because they'll automatically refill and just arrive on your doorstep. In the medication uh, area that we're talking about, and you mentioned heart disease as being one of the more prevalent uh, issues in in male health. So statins have become uh, just a a standard treatment for uh, high cholesterol, but the the side effects, and I can attest to this partially because I I take statin, side effects can be uh, difficult 
So, you know, sometimes I find myself questioning whether I want to put up with the side effect or continue on to take the medication. How do you deal with that in your practice? Well, statins are a very, very important part of our tool chest. Um, of all the medications that we have ever come up with, um, statins have probably saved more lives than anything other than antibiotics. Uh, but you're absolutely correct. There are about 15% of patients who have significant muscle pain on statins and just don't tolerate them well. Fortunately, there are at least two new drug classes that we have available now to treat elevated cholesterol in folks who don't tolerate statins. But there are also a lot of strategies um, because most of those statin side effects are dose-related. And by finding a a very low dose of a statin, sometimes even taken as infrequently as twice weekly, uh, lots of times you can mitigate the side effects so that you don't even notice them. We're talking about men's health, but, you know, when you're in that transitional period as 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 a a teenager coming into adulthood. What, what is your message for those patients as far as lining up their lifestyle so they understand, you know, the risks that they're facing and, and how to avoid those? Well, that's a great question. It, it is hard to engage a young male with what their mortality might be 30 or 40 years down the line. It's just not on their radar screen. Um, so what I try to do is really focus on on the immediate concerns and um, that really surrounds uh, substance use, um, you know, maintaining physical activity, uh, making certain that you've got a designated driver if anybody is going to be drinking, um, safe sex. You know, these are the things that really can, can be major impacts to adolescents and young adults and are much more proximate to them in terms of their attention. Speaking of young males, I think this is something that we, we all are, are acutely aware of these days, especially here in Colorado, with, with the legalization of cannabis. Are you, how are you seeing that enter into your practice? Well, we're certainly seeing a high utilization. Um, fortunately, a lot of the utilization that we're seeing is uh, topical rubs and oils for musculoskeletal complaints or CBD preparations that don't have any active components to them, no, no THC at all. So those, at least, we know are safe. When it comes to THC, true marijuana, it's an impossible question to answer because of the fact that it has been a a legal substance, there hasn't been any research done. Uh, There are no controlled outcome studies. There are no research trials on on pros and cons and toxicities. So it just is a totally unanswered question. And and the, the, the answer to your question is we need to study it so that we can learn more about it. I think that's going to be a regulatory issue, if I'm not mistaken, and Congress is going to have to uh, take it out of the the classification that it it currently is in to get uh, some kind of research done. Exactly. There cannot be any funding at its current designation, correct? Right. Uh, uh, Just jumping back a step, we were talking about insurance. So for those who are young and uninsured, which seems, seems to be the biggest category of uninsured because, you know, when you're, when you're young and male, you're bulletproof, so you don't need that health insurance, and it's expensive. What message do you have for those folks who don't anticipate the downline uh, effects of their current lifestyle? What can they do to try and be more healthy and, and plan for the future? Well, you know, it's funny. When we look at the health insurance needs of young, young adults, we, we categorize them as, as happy and unhappy accidents. So it predominantly surrounds uh, maternity costs for women of childbearing age, and it surrounds injuries to both men and women, but men are obviously more injury prone. And 
medical bills uh, continues to be one of the highest causes of personal bankruptcy in this country, and young men, unfortunately, are predisposed to injury just through their lifestyle. So it really is important that they have health insurance coverage to protect themselves against the financial burden should they become injured. As, as parents of a young male, uh, from a family perspective, what can parents do to prepare a male for a, a healthy lifestyle long term? I think probably the most important is to model the behaviors that they would like to see in their children. We look to role models and who is a better role model than our parents. So in terms of tobacco, alcohol, and substance use, um, in terms of diet and physical activity, those are all things people learn as they're growing up in a household. And I think we have a great opportunity to to be the role model that we would want our children to, to be when they grow up. The temptations that are out there in uh, drugs and alcohol, and, and I'm going to throw this in there because it, it, it seems to be a big factor in health, is, a, is fast food. What is your counsel for those issues as far as, well, let's go, let's go specifically to fast food because it, the bigger purveyors of, of fast food are trying to appear to be healthy or offer healthier choices, but in the, in the big picture, they're just not, not so much. I absolutely agree with that, and I spend a lot of time counseling about nutrition. In fact, in every one of the uh, New West Physicians exam rooms is a bulletin board solely for the purpose of demonstrating educational material. And one of the things that we have up there, for example, is a healthy food pyramid. Uh, Another is a chart that shows you how many teaspoons of sugar there are in a beverage so that people understand that a small 12-ounce can of soda pop actually has 12 teaspoons of sugar in it. And just to be able to point to those educational pieces is a really good way to guide our patients. Uh, The concept of fast food is critical because it's consumed at such high quantities, and you are correct. Um, If you're talking about the the typical fast food that that people think of, um, it is horrifically unhealthy. It has tons of saturated fat, tons of sodium, uh, the the serving sizes are too large. A lot of the beverages are just loaded with sugar. What I counsel people to do is look towards healthy fast food. And fortunately, more and more, there are actually fast food um, purveyors that are providing healthy foods with, with vegetables and smaller quantities of grilled meats and rice and beans and, you know, all of the things that are, are key to a healthy food pyramid. Now, as Chief Medical Officer with New West, and it being National uh, Men's Health Month, what what are you, are you doing uh, to commemorate or to, to note this particular month in, in educationally and things like that? We have a variety of, of ways of uh, promulgating information out to our patients, um, uh, Twitter and Facebook, and we have an e-newsletter for our patients, and we have a series of short articles planned uh, throughout the month focusing on uh, health screening, healthy lifestyle, uh, prostate cancer, which is a, just a fascinating and difficult issue to deal with. Um, so the, the goal is really to, to provide education so that people can become engaged in their health and make the best decisions for themselves. Colon cancer is, is another health issue that I think has just, just really become prevalent over the last few years. And there seem to be some alternatives to a regular colonoscopy how effective are those non-invasive scans versus the real thing? So there's a few different approaches. Uh, the, the colonoscopy is the gold standard. It does have the best outcomes. Uh, but almost equally as good is what is known as a virtual colonoscopy, which is done with a CT scan. Uh, the difference is it needs to be done every five years as opposed to every 10 years. 
and there is a, a variability in insurance coverage. Some plans cover it and some don't. Um, but it is uh, just about as accurate as a colonoscopy. Um, what is very inexpensive to do are the stool blood tests, and they have become highly accurate. Uh, so they can be 8 to $10 a year and are simple to do. Uh, the only problem with the stool test is that, in general, by the time you have diagnosed a, a colon cancer, it will be at a slightly later stage. It'll still be at a curable stage, but sometimes it could require an operation, whereas a colonoscopy might have just had to remove a polyp, for example. And then in between those two um, are the new genetic uh, colon cancer tests, and they haven't found their role yet. Those are expensive. They're about $700 a year. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, $700 a test. Uh, we don't know what the exact frequency should be. It's probably going to turn out to be about every three years. So you can do that math, and you quickly realize that for a colonoscopy every 10 years, it's actually more expensive to do the DNA stool tests. So that's an area that we still need to flesh out a little bit better. Looking forward, uh, as far as uh, medical technology, I mean, there, we're always seeing advertisements for the latest, greatest technologies. Uh, chief among them, I think, now are stem cell therapy. Uh, what's real and what's not? Stem cell therapy is a, a fascinating area uh, because it wasn't under FDA scrutiny. And as a result of that, it was widely marketed for all kinds of conditions for which it was never studied. And it has now become such a, a um, profit center for a lot of uh, medical groups that are providing stem cell therapy that the, the groups are unwilling to do the scientific studies because if those studies turned out to be negative, they would lose that line of business. So we have found ourselves in a position where patients are engaging in stem cell therapy for osteoarthritis and for spinal conditions and for Parkinson's disease and for a whole wide range of conditions for which it has just never been studied. So the truth of the matter is we don't have the answer. It may not be any better than placebo. It may be of benefit, but it's just never been studied. Just, just one further question on that. So what... Um, has been seen to be effective. That's, I think, probably the more important thing if you're going to uh, have a, you know, an ACL reconstruction versus a stem cell or uh, a shoulder injury, those orthopedic issues. I think that's probably the biggest area where they're, they're touting stem cell. Is it effective in that regard? Again, stem cell therapy has never been compared with, with physical therapy, with surgical therapies, so unfortunately, there is literally no data to make an informed decision. Um, most of orthopedic problems, fortunately, assuming that there's not a, a huge injury, an unstable joint, a massive rotator cuff tear, most orthopedic injuries can actually be rehabilitated quite nicely. And there was even a study of ACL tears uh, a few years back in the New England Journal uh, that showed that um, about a third to a half of those patients did fine without surgery. So not all injuries require surgery, uh, but you certainly need to engage a physician early on to help figure out which ones do and which ones don't. Dr. Cohen, another issue that that's, seems to be very prevalent these days is what, what's, what's being called low T or low testosterone. What are the effects of, of that on, on the male body and, and what can be done to uh, to alleviate it? 
Well, fortunately, as I've mentioned a couple times while we've been speaking, there are some things that haven't been well studied. The good news is that testosterone therapy is beginning to be well studied. The NIH conducted seven trials called the low testosterone trials that were published over the past several years. So we really have a very good understanding. There's two types of low testosterone. There's low testosterone in young individuals where there's a primary problem with either the pituitary gland or the testicle itself. And that's a significant condition that clearly benefits from testosterone replacement. The difficult decision is that testosterone levels decline about 10% per decade. And what do you do with folks in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who have low testosterone? And is there really a benefit to testosterone replacement in that age group? And it turns out that there are small benefits. So what those studies have shown is that there are improvements in bone health, um, some improvements in sexual function, and some improvements in strength, energy, and physical functioning. So there are clear benefits. Uh, what hasn't been determined yet, because the studies weren't large enough to answer this question, is whether there's an increase in prostate cancer incidence or whether there's an increase in stroke and heart attack incidence. And there is finally a study that is just being launched this month there will be a five-year outcomes trial that will look at prostate cancer and cardiovascular disease as a function of testosterone replacement, such that five years from now, we'll have the answers to those questions. Doctor, we're, we're about out of time, and I think we could probably have gone for another half hour and, and not touched on every area, but I wanted to thank you for your time. And uh, if you're listening out there and you're male, it's Men's Health Month. Think about it. There's a lot of things you can do to prevent problems down the line. Doctor, thank you very much. You are most welcome. To inquire about becoming a guest of Colorado Issues, contact our studios during normal business hours at 303-750-5687. Colorado Issues is a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado.